I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Denilson. Ja voimakkaasti hän tulee sisään. Kompuroi pallon kanssa. Nappaa sen sitten itselleen. Ja nyt on varma paikka. Ja siinä on maali. Ja siinä on myöskin ratkaisu. Bebeetto maalitekijänä. Turen Floo, Junior Bajano. Ja nyt on Floolla paikka. Ja Norja tulee otteluun mukaan. 37,5 minuuttia pelattu. Ja hienon hieno maali. Turi Andre Floo. Turi Andre Floo kaatuu sen. Junior Bajano käsittelyssä. Ja rankkariako näyttää ottelun erotuomari. Tuleeko tästä Norjalle kaksi? Today we have Norway's finest, Lars Sivertsen, <laughs> with us. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Lars, John of the Wilson, of course, is, is sat opposite me. Um, today we're looking at the... We're going to the 1998 World Cup in France. It's the first round. Norway, they need to beat Brazil to go through. It seems unlikely when you look at the talent in the Brazil side. Why have you chosen this game, Lars? I've chosen it... Well, the obvious reason is it's been voted, I believe, something like the greatest sporting moment in my, my country's history. Sure. Certainly it topped some sort of book that was done recently of top 100 biggest moments. And it's one of those moments where everyone knows exactly where they were and what they were doing. What was second? <laughs> that have to Norway be to England, something to do surely. with skis, one would imagine. <laughs> no, uh, but but more crucially, because for me it represented like the peak of the, the Egil Olsen years. I mean, this sort of mad period in footballing history where at, at one point we were on second in the FIFA rankings. You know, half the Premier League seemed to be Norwegians. You know, it was a very strange time. Norway uh, was second in the rankings. Uh, yes, that was a bit early. So was yeah, well, around 1995, I think thereabouts. Okay. Uh, might amazing, might even might be even earlier. But yeah, no, it, they, we, they have changed the algorithm since. <laughs> <laughs> but we had some incredible results. But 
But in tournaments, you know, 94 was a little bit disappointing in the tournament results. The players themselves feel that way, certainly. Because they went out in the first round on, they, on goals scored? Only a few goals scored. Every team in the group ended up on four points. Because that was that madness. crazy group with Ireland and really Italy. Really bizarre stuff, yeah. Mexico. And Ireland and Italy And they felt, they felt they hadn't done there as well as they could have done. And in 98, it looked like it was going the same way. Because mm. we drew 2-2 against Morocco. And then we drew against Scotland. And we thought, oh, good Lord, you know. Well, and it, failed to qualify for year 96 as well. Yeah, out of a very good group. We can talk about that later. But it looked at that point as if it was, was going to ebb away. Some of the players were getting old. Like the whole Egil Olsen thing, it's had it moments. And they weren't going to have this one big uh, transcendental moment that we could all identify with it. And then they had just yeah, that. Well, this was their time, as you say. I mean, you look at Norway's size. This was their kind of, dare I say, golden generation. Yes. And uh, and to put in context, first round, uh, as you say, Brazil have already qualified. Six mm. points, as, as you'd expect. Um Scotland and Morocco played um, and both sides needed to win to have a chance of going through and, and of course so Norway yes, Brazil on six points yes. Norway on two mm-hmm. Scotland and Morocco on, on one each yeah and, and as it would turn out Morocco hammered Scotland 3-0 yeah. and and obviously the goals are going in Norway very very aware of what's going on they're playing the mighty Brazil yes they've already qualified but this Brazil side Ronaldo um, you know Cafu was in there was he Tafarel in goal Dunga um, you know the, the, the names roll off the tongue um, and uh, Bebeto as well was playing up front of course yeah, they, and then they made two changes I think so it was pretty much full yeah. strength and the players knew that Morocco were beating Scotland as well Yes. so uh, half time was 1-0 yeah. wasn't it the, so yeah. this game was 0 and, and it, was, it was communicated to them that Morocco were 2 nil up they certainly said after the game that they knew Morocco and were, then Morocco were, went to early in the second yes, half yes 46 minutes or something and they mm. said after the game that they knew Morocco were winning and so when Brazil then scored in the 78th minute I believe it was they, they all said after the game like we, we thought we were done uh, oh, and of course, you, you you would have thought so. You think to yourself, "Oh, there we go. That that's done and dusted." And it was Bebeto who got the goal. Back it, posted. Awful marking. Mm. Bebeto completely unmarked. Uncharacteristically bad. And actually, this whole Denilson championship cross. was dogged by bad defending by Norwegians. I mean, the Craig Burley goal for Scotland was a yeah. simple ball over the top. Uh, the two-one goal for Morocco was a simple ball over the top that they didn't defend. So uncharacteristically mm-hmm. bad at the back. So then conceding in that way against uh, Brazil was desperate. And Egil Olsen said after the game, "I don't usually believe in Santa." So at that point, I said. My goodbyes to the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so going into the game, you only mentioned that, that Norway drew with Morocco mm. and drew with Scotland. They would have wanted at least one win, at least one win. Absolutely. But, you know, you're probably looking realistically maybe four points from yeah. those two games. They've got two points. What was the mood then like among the, the the Norwegian fans going into that Brazil game? Presumably, they thought we've probably let our chance go. Yeah, there was a lot of frustration because this was a better team than a 94 team I think most people felt because they still had the core of that group mm-hmm. whereas we now had Tor Andre Flo up front who was very promising a very good striker and th- there had been some kerfuffle off the pitch Henny Bergen er- and Eric Mukland uh, went out uh, on, on the town after the Morocco game which hadn't <laughs> gone down well with anyone uh, so there was a lot of controversy there and there's also they'd been so good in the qualifiers I mean they were in a slightly easier group in the qualifiers by, by because they'd shot up the rankings but they'd, uh, they they'd won six games games and drawn twice and not lost any game only conceding two goals in all of qualifying so going into the tournament there was a sense that no I think we're going to win the World Cup or something mad like that but we're certainly going to do better than in, in the US you get past the first round exactly yeah, right so when you then slip up against Morocco you slip up against Scotland and you then have to play Brazil it's a very frustrating the world situation. champions let's very frustrating <laughs> situation to be in because you realistically it's not going to happen and then you start thinking actually maybe this was it because a lot of the key players are getting on a bit and yeah it, it had to be then so how did the the, um, 
uh, the what's the word I'm trying to say the um, the enigmatic Egil Olsen set up against Brazil. What was his approach different to this guy? Well, he this is another sort of subplot here is that it was a big point of pride for for Olsen because he was not just a guy who was very confident in his way of playing, but he was evangelical about it. It wasn't just that this is the way I do it. He was quite clear that everyone else is doing everything wrong, <laughs> and, and he, he was very clear that Brazil would be a much better team if they played more like Egil Olsen's yeah. Norway. And everyone should be wearing Wellington boots. Uh, no, no, for sure. And he felt he felt very strongly about this. So for him, uh, it, it mattered even more. And, and the key, I mean, we can talk a bit about Olsen's philosophy. I think this is important because it's a big part of the story. Is that he's seen as this sort of long ball hoof merchant, and 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 that is part of it. But uh, when I interviewed him for the Blizzard, obviously, I mean, I've asked him to sort of uh, describe his philosophy, and and uh, what I, what he said is that it's it's all about exploiting the opponents when they're out of balance. It's about attacking quickly. Uh, and uh, when the when the opponent is off balance, they shouldn't be allowed to regain it. So you attack very quickly. Obviously, a long ball is a way to do that, but it's more about getting forwards quickly. So it's, a, it's a sort of proto gegenpressing pressing, isn't in, it? In a bit of a way, yeah. Except the crucial difference is that he didn't necessarily believe in high press. He thought that was too risky. So he thought the thing was to sit back mm. and, and interrupt them further back, but then attack very very quickly. It was counter attacking, really. It, it was, and it was extraordinarily direct. I mean, so you wouldn't press at all, you not? Occasionally, they'd press higher up, but it okay, was something that it was something that worried him. I mean, he would do it occasionally, but instinctively, he he felt it was very risky, and not not in the sort of gung ho way. He he would pack them. I mean, there, there's there's an urban legend. I, I asked him about it uh, in one of his earlier club teams. There's a story that apparently in training, in preseason training, when they were playing, every time someone would play a square ball, he'd just stop it and just give them a ball king. <laughs> it was like any sideways passes or heavens yeah. forbid backwards passes, yeah, he yeah. would stop proceedings immediately and, and and tell them to stop doing this. Because the reason I find that uh, slightly surprising. Um, is that you know I, I sort of think of of Olsen and Graham Taylor as being the two sort of maybe most successful managers who are, are linked with with Charles Reap. Yeah, uh, and, and Charles Reap, if, if anybody doesn't know who he is, is slightly odd former RAF officer who, in the mid fifties, decided to to start um, taking very detailed statistical notes on on Swindon Town's performances would sit in the in the stand at the, the county ground wearing a miners helmet so he could see his notebook with a lamp on the front and would would yeah and to be yeah whatever oddities he 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 subsequently came up with he was one of the very first people one of the, one of the great pioneers of trying to work out a way of statistically breaking a game down and for that I think you have to give him great credit uh, but Graham Taylor's basic idea, you know, he, he, he said, you know, it, it wasn't some sort of uh, well thought out philosophical notion how you should play football. He just sort of thought, well, the last 10 minutes of games when you're chasing a, a goal, what do you do? You whack the ball in the corner and everybody chases it and you try and get it back. So he started doing that for 90 minutes. <laughs> and it took Watford, you know, between 1977 and 1982, took him to uh, three promotions and took him to second in the in the table and each level they went up he kept on expecting to, to be found out and so Reap's um, the thing that, that he became obsessed by was what he called reaches which was when you could uh, regain possession in the final third so that, that came either through a long ball and a knockdown and, and you pick it up or in Taylor's case you, you, you pen the opposition back almost pressing but, really it's like, it is pressing yeah. it's, yeah. it's absolutely what it yeah, is yeah. it is pressing um and you know, Liverpool and Nottingham Forest were doing a 
more sophisticated version of it, but they they would press, and yeah, Jurgen Klopp now is you know he says that um, mm. he you know he's he's been very influenced by the Schwabian school of, of managers and Rangnick and all that. Yeah, the Liverpool of the late seventies was yeah the, the the team he grew up watching and wanting to play like that that sort of great aggression with control. Mm. Taylor's team wouldn't have a control afterwards. They wouldn't have a technical capacity on the ball, but the, the idea of of winning the ball back high up a pitch to catch the opponent before they're set. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just sort of assumed no. that Olsen was was also kind of pursuing no, this sort it's, of it's, double strategy. Yeah, it's slightly misleading of me to say that he would always sit back, but he was, I mean, if we compare to a proper like high-pressing sort of madman like Bielsa and this sort of thing, like he wouldn't go that far. Yeah, we should. Sure. He was a Taylor. pretty yeah, risk-averse yeah. dude. Yeah. And the other facet of this is that Norway ended up deep quite often just because they always tried to hit the high-risk pass immediately when they won the ball because they were told to get it forward as quickly as possible. As a result of that, they didn't have much possession. As a result of that, you get pushed back a lot. So, I mean, that, that would often happen. I mean, was he also utilising the size of some of the players? I mean, Tori Andre Flo, you know, what was he, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, something like yeah, that? Yeah, and that's you know, not, they, I mean, he's very, he's very closely associated with the concept of the flow pass, which yeah. is a sort of long, booming diagonal uh, across to a tall well, uh, player out wide. And this is something he came up with in, in a friendly against uh, Portugal in, I think it was 19... The Olsen came up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I believe it was 1993. Uh because I mean, sorry, I mean he's trying to utilise flow like you know Nile Quinn was utilised you know that kind of ball into the to the to the leggy front man if he can try and get it under uh, Nile Quinn had great chest control yeah. well. <laughs> great volume of football we've all got I, our have, having seen both of them play for Sunderland I would definitely take Quinn every day but. I appreciate that's excellent covering guys I was looking through my notes <laughs> as, as the astute listeners will have noticed no, it was a 1993 friendly against Portugal according to himself uh, where he decided to play Jostan Flo in a slightly wider position partially because he had identified that the Portuguese fullbacks were a bit on the short side and I mean they didn't win the game but for the equalised one one goal. There was a big hoof from the from the right back over to Flo, who was out on the left there, who who just smashed the the full back in the aerial duel, and then the following knockdown, a, a goal ensued, and it's something he did quite a lot. Uh, he, so that was um, the same, yeah, but that was before they, they beat England two 0 because it was that long mm-hmm. diagonal, which. I'm sure that will have happened uh, there as well, but that, that's the example he cited himself. Well, because, because but but some of it could also have been because we have, we produce a good number of strong centre forwards, so if you want them on the pitch, you end up putting them yeah. out wide. Because Graham Taylor was so uh, terrified by the, the you know, the, um, I, was it Jostein? It would have been Jostein. Yeah, he was the um, tallest. Coming in off the left, that he played a back three with Gary Pallister as right wing back. Yeah. And Olsen outwitted him by playing oh, flew on the on the Gary right Pallister instead of left. Wing back. Yeah, it didn't work. No, I, I could have told you. <laughs> I could have told him that before he did. <laughs> My goodness. Um, so, 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 so Olsen. I mean, yeah, sets up uh, uh, Norway against Brazil. I mean, how did he? How would he use or even Leonardson? Because Leonardson's slightly well, different. Well, he would run a lot, and he was uh, emblematic of what Norway would do because it was a lot of uh, because you play so extremely direct um, crazily direct you end up losing the ball a lot and you end up out of possession a lot and then since pressing and zonal pressing is very important you need midfielders who can run so Leonardson had a lot to oh, do Leonardson famously ran more than anyone and we, we learned a lot as because I'm, I'm, I'm a child of this generation as sure. you were young you learned like he's very good because he runs he's, the, the phrase was he's the best student ball he's best without the ball he's, <laughs> which, sounds, he bad, which sounds bad in English but it doesn't mean you're terrible on the ball but it means you're very good when it comes to where to run and how mm-hmm. to run and, and to never go up 
Now, famously, in the Brazil game, uh, Leonardo vomited at halftime, uh, something that w- wasn't uncomfor- unusual. The, the then-team doctor, Trey Vicasa, said that uh, when Leo vomits at halftime, he's in top shape. It is a good sign, <laughs> not unhealthy, and just proof that he's very good at giving his all. Excellent. So that, that, that was routine, that Leonardo would so vomit the at halftime. So vomiting was from effort, it wasn't from nerves, something like that. Well, I think what Leo said himself was that it, more, it was more, the suggestion is uh, that... Uh, the, the, his body reacted badly to relaxing again because I mean his oh, okay. natural state was herring about the pitch like a madman. So when you get in at halftime and you sit down, he, he, the, the body would then vomit. I guess football is a very vomity sport, isn't it? I mean Zidane and Messi both had famous vomits, haven't they? Yeah. But but speaking of zonal pressing, I mean it's worth mentioning since we've already mentioned Charles Reap, Egil Olsen's other big source of inspiration is also uh, an Englishman, is George Curtis, who I, I believe was an inside forward for Southampton in his day, played for Arsenal and uh, would lay coach uh, Brighton and Hove Albion and the San Diego de- uh, San Diego Toros uh, over in America but he he, he coached Rosenborg uh, in he took over in uh, 1969 and they won the league the first season but he was received some criticism because it was quite defensive and the club weren't happy with that so he was told to buck up his idea and attack uh, a little bit more and in the second season they finished they finished second with their goal differences in 18 games they, they scored 15 but conceded only 5 so if you been told by the club to attack a bit more <laughs> scoring 15 goals in, eight, in 18 wow, games goodness. is not ideal oh, uh, so, so Curtis was sacked uh, later on he took over as the national team coach of Norway which was, which was quite dreadful, I mean he was something 17 games, I think they won three times uh, two of those were against Iceland and one was against North Korea, I mean in terms of results it was a pretty dreadful reign, I think they lost against Luxembourg as well in this period so it wasn't ideal, so, so most, I think most sane people will look at that and think that that's not great mm-hmm. but, but not so a young Egil Olsen. <laughs> uh, he had spotted something he liked. And, and to be fair, uh, Kurt has introduced the concept of, of the flat back four and, and zonal uh, marking rather than following the ball. So uh, I don't suppose, you know, did Curtis come through um, that Alan Wade training course and later because the first sort of proper which training, training course. course he was on I can't tell you Jonathan no but this was it was a it was a um, hugely influential uh, Alan Wade sort of wrote this this great textbook of, of um, how to play football mm. he was certainly the first uh, English coach to try and break the game down into all his component phases and to, to teach the way of doing it and he, he in the late 60s he instituted this course through the FA which Roy Hodgson was on um, Bobby Houghton was on because they both went on to have great success in Sweden mm. before everything else. Uh, I think Ron Greenwood might even uh, come through. It that. sounds exceedingly likely that he was part of this, or something. But this the, the idea of the, the similar ideas, yeah. The, the flat back four was on marking midfield. Yeah, all of that is very Alan Wade. Yeah, and he, I mean, even if the results in Norway were were not amazing, it was something Egil Olsen said again to the Blizzard that it, it really took him aback. And I quit the the idea that you shouldn't bother with the opposition, but you should position yourself according to your teammates in defence. It was just a completely different way of thinking, and I was fascinated by it. It's something that Olsen talks about now. So, so those the, the so really, ironically, so ironically, since we since we beat England and kept you from qualifying for the American '94 World Cup, the two big sort of sources of inspiration for that were Englishmen. Well, and, and from Graham Taylor's point of view, the same English, as a lot an Englishman of... who played a very similar style, <laughs> yeah, yeah, much the same, yeah. but, but very, just just better. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, the referee's letting go on. And Bermato scores! Well, that was extraordinary because... It looked as though the referee was going to give Brazil a free kick. By not doing that, he's allowed them the goal from Bebeto. 12 minutes to go. You mentioned that this, this generation of Norwegian players was your generation growing up. It, mm. was, it was mine as well. And uh, sometimes when, uh, certainly years after that, you, you could look at Norway and go, but they're meant to be a good side. What, mm. you know, they're really in the doldrums. But no, that was a bit of a, a, a peak time, as, as we've mentioned before. So so back to the game itself, as we said, it's nil-nil at halftime. Mm. Morocco, uh, what are they, one-nil up against Scotland. Then Morocco score two-nil and, yep. and Norway are are down. What, what's Olsen doing then? What, what What's the, the, the mood in, in the Norwegian? side because when all said and done they are playing a superior side who went on to, to reach the final who were the world champions you know if you commit too much in attack you're going to get punished and they did go 1-0 down in the 78th minute from a Bebeto header it's, it's yeah Egil Olsen is for all of his strengths as a manager he's not a huge believer in changing things in game I mean that's partially because he has his way of playing and he believes in it 100% I'm pretty sure he's on record saying that once the game kicks off there's not that much you can do from the bench <laughs> which I think uh, there are some coaches that might disagree with that but he he has said that and he made three subs and they were they were basically like for like and the first sub came at halftime where he took out uh, Ruastran and uh, Ruastran played for Rosenborg uh, you could Ro- ar- Strand. Yeah, yes. Ruastran you could argue that having him and Ivan Leonardson in the same uh, midfield is a bit of a much of a muchness even if he I think he played out on the wing in this game because Ruastran was another one of those who would ra- run all day and then run some more and that was his main quality as a footballer not to say that he wasn't decent technically he 
played many games for Rosenberg in the Champions League, but he was uh, the, the extraordinary lung power of this man. That that was his great thing. He was taken off at halftime uh, because he I, didn't I, vomit. Presumably. Well, <laughs> maybe not, but presumably <laughs> at halftime, uh, Olsen will have heard that the Moroccans were ahead, so you needed to attack a little bit more in the second half. So he introduced uh, the Eric Mickland, mm-hmm. uh, who was a sort of just a magnificent player uh, in the sense that he was quite quite short, uh, long hair. I mean, his nickname was Muggen, which sounds like Muglan. Muggen, Muggen is Norwegian for the mosquito. So he was quite literally would buzz around and a very technical, good balance, good vision. Not an Egil Olsen type player at all, but someone who was a valued uh, member of that group by Olsen because he could recognize that he brought a bit of creativity. And Egil Olsen, for all of his dogmatic stubbornness, he was always a manager who appreciated uh, players who had uh, extraordinary sort of if you had a Spitzfeldiet in Norwegian if you have one thing that you can do that you're a lot better at than anyone else he saw the value in that because I think he understood as Norway when we're playing teams internationally most of their players will be better at us at most things so if we have individuals who are very good at something that's what, worth what's the word in Norwegian? Spitzfeldiet and what, what, what's the literal translation of that? Spitz means sharp means the tip of something and feldiet means uh, skill Okay. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, so you can say like like Peter Crouch would have a Spitzfeldiet because mm-hmm. he's just very tall. Yeah. Uh, you, you can say there was a later. I mean, uh, Daniel Broughton, who's I, I, he's a bit of a joke figure here if, 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 from an ill-fated spell at Bolton, uh, but he was a player in who in uh, Olsen's second spell in Norway had a bit of a resurgence at international level because he was a player who didn't. I mean, he didn't like running so much, but he was very strong and very technical with the ball. So if you gave him the ball, he could do a lot of damage. I mean, slightly idiosyncratic players. players Players are very. If you think at like FIFA or football managers, sure, uh, players yeah. who have very high numbers you just from one of two specific things, uh-huh. uh, and you can. So he valued, uh, even though Miklan wasn't a, a Leonardson, he was very highly valued by by Eggleson, and he put him on to add a bit of creativity. Do you feel that that had the desire? It, it helps, but I think the goals when they eventually came, they, it was uh, it was from a, a long hoof up the side to to, to Andre Flo. The equaliser came. So I mean, I, I yeah. guess so it, the yeah. equaliser comes what eighty three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Roberto's put, put Brazil ahead seventy eight. Eighty three mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, Sticking a Bjornby. Very good. Um, he's left in loads of space. Yes, and absolutely. It's, it suddenly occurred to me actually. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in a sense Brazil. Although they're obviously a very good side, the reigning world champions. Um, for, in, from a tactical point of view, they were almost a perfect team for Norway to play against. Yeah. Yeah. In that, they sort of played that, that column down the middle, the 4 2 2 2. Which they've mm. played in, in a few tournaments. And so they, there's no real way of them to, to put pressure on the fullbacks. So, mm. yeah, they had uh, Beto and Ronaldo in the middle up front, and then behind them, uh, they had Rivaldo and Danielson. I guess Danielson could pull left. Yeah, he would as, as he, he did for the for the, the goal. goal. Yeah, but there's no pressure on Bunbu. <laughs> Because uh, you're, you're relying on the fullbacks to play. And, and when you know long balls from fullback is what Norway does a lot of the time yeah. anyway if, if it had been probably if this had been a quarterfinal or something one imagines that perhaps the Brazilians would have done some homework on this but there, I guess there was no real need not, for it in the, under circumstances not necessarily but, th- but that goal as you say it was, it was, it was perfect Olsen booms it down stuff. down the channel mm-hmm. um, time to flow against Junior Baiano gets a little bit lucky that he obviously out muscles him but then the ball sort of bobbles well, he, between he, the legs. he turns inside he rides which, 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 which frankly Bayano maybe should have not allowed well, that it, it, he turns inside the ball bounces off Bayano back into his path yeah, yeah. and then it's a beautiful finish Flow in a trial of strength with Junior Bayano and Torre Andre Flo has struck back for Norway all his own work 
A very fine goal from a very fine player. But that is, I guess, when we're comparing to 94, I keep bringing it back to it because I think it does matter a little bit. I mean, that's the little bit of cutting edge up front yeah. that we didn't really have in yeah. 94. I mean, God bless Jan Ogifiotov, but he wasn't, you know, quite as good as Toronto. From, from Flo's point of view, or any striker's point of view, it's a great goal. Yeah, no, it's, and, it's, and it gets them It's a terrific going. goal. And it's worth noting that uh, Toronto Flo did not have good games uh, earlier in the tournament, and he said that he'd been he'd been very frustrated and uh, that, that he'd been trying too hard, essentially, he said after the game. And he, he felt a lot of other coaches would have dropped him because we had a young Ole Gunnar there you know who came off the bench midway through the second half Horvath Flo could play up front Jostein Flo was a unit uh, but instead of dropping him uh, Olsen kept faith with him not only that Olsen told him specifically to relax more I mean he, you have a misfiring forward who hasn't done anything much in the first two games and instead of trying him to try harder Olsen told him very specifically whenever there's a drop in play just relax let your shoulders down you know relax you're, you're trying too hard and then right at like he has 10 minutes left to influence this competition in some way to Andre Flo and he scores a great goal yeah. and by this point there's Toy Andre Flo Jostein mm. Flo and Solskjaer yeah. all on the pitch against <laughs> Brazil can't quite work out how that, that works tactically <laughs> and I can't work, work out what you could possibly do other than lump the ball along in the box and hope for the best yeah. Yeah, thankfully that's what they were doing anyway <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, it I'm, can work it can work well you do it by, by playing uh, two of the strikers out wide but this was an issue for us even in our heyday we produced a very decent number nines but maybe not that many rapid skillful wingers mm. so you ended up a lot of times uh, even if it was a stratagem from Olsen's perspective to have a tall number nine out wide because fullbacks usually can't deal with that mm-hmm. it also was very convenient for us to, in a way to get more than one of these strikers into the team and that last time minutes Norway absolutely bad and they did. so it's a flow has a headed chance he puts just wide and there's another long ball from Bionibu that is knocked down and, and flow at the back post I mean really should score just but absolutely sort of pushes his shot slightly wide and you see that he thinks that was a chance he goes down his knees and mm. yeah there's a real look of oh, no that I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of my life the, the yeah. time I could have put us through against Brazil and then at 89th minute the penalty it's wrecked up it's 2-1 to Norway, an extraordinary turnaround. And how the man with the yellow boots has hurt those wearing the yellow shirts. Delight for Egil Olsen. And it's it's one of those... It's, it's it a, a controversial one. It's a soft penalty on the first, second and third viewing. Yeah. And it wasn't actually until the next day when footage emerged. That's right, I remember this that. This is really fascinating. I remember that vividly. Come we, on, we, we just had that argument before you got here. Well, because I remember when... They, I was saying it was soft. And it, then Marcus is going, oh, no, there's a well, footage of it, really. I was living in Scotland at the time yeah. and the Scots felt very sorry for the Moroccans. Yeah. Because, you know, they've been humbled by Morocco and, and, yeah. and Morocco, you know, they were was a really good team. They were. They were celebrating pretty much after the game as they should. And then suddenly the news filtered through and everyone thought, hang on a minute. Oh, it was a dodgy penalty. No way. Uh, what a load of nonsense. But then the footage came the next day. The, the next day, because and the, we see the replays and it looks like uh, basically a bit of a dive, like he just sort of falls down. But, but the referee so was... So it's uh, time to flow mm-hmm. and Gini Bayano yep. again. Yeah, again. And but the referee was very, very clear. Um, yeah, I was thinking, I'm not letting him get away from me this time. <laughs> yeah. And the next day, footage emerged. Taken from another camera behind the goal. Was it from Norwegian? I, I, I think TV? it was Swedish. Or TV, Swedish actually. TV. And I'm not sure it was actually part of the match day coverage. I no, think I don't was, think it was, was for like B roll for documentary stuff. Set or up in a studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the good old Swedes came to. Uh, yeah, and they did. <laughs> and, and from that angle, you could see that Bayano had just given his shirt a big old tug, and it was, oh, it was, it was standing out like yeah. a, like some sort of sail on a, on a boat. You know, it was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was and it would have been. 
I mean, in the days of VAR, obviously it would be, be picked up straight away, but back, it was a back, back then there's a, there was a well, real risk of... The referee who is the American Esfandiar Bahamast is very clear. You know, he's, yeah. he's sort of clenching his fists and pulling down. Mm-hmm. And there's a little smile on his face as well. He's delighted, like, I know I yeah. made a good call here. But, well, <laughs> I have to say, well, that was what made me suspicious when I first saw it. Oh, there's a man who likes being the centre of the <laughs> There, there's the uh, there, there's there's the American Mike D. I think that's I relishing giving a penalty. I think that's hard to think it was. Obviously, I would say that. I think it's, a, well, no, it's I, I think it's a great call. I, I haven't seen and it was footage, it so. was yeah. actually later. It was put in Referee Magazine. They made the list of top <laughs> refereeing decisions in football go. history, and they had it right near the top of the list. I think <laughs> uh-huh. this, this is Norwegian. It's an incredible. Call. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. It's a great call. The, but the, the, I mean, the nerves of steel. Yeah, and and uh, this is Shetland Rectal. I mean, if it's up to me, you can talk about him for the rest of the running hour. He's a really fascinating figure uh, because Chetan Rechtal who took the penalty he's a very un-Norwegian character you know Norwegians in, in football as in rest of life were all about like yeah try your best and be a good teammate you know and this sort of thing Rechtal is, is a winner he has a, he has a winning mentality he doesn't care if you've tried your best if you don't get a result at the end of it uh, famously I, mean, I do apologise to him if I'm misremembering this anecdote but he was he was rooming with the Ostein flow when they drew away to England uh, the, and he scored himself he scored a magnificent long range shot then he got up to the room afterwards uh, and Jostein was like having a beer and like feeling delighted with himself and he asked Jostein why are you celebrating mate and it was like no we've drawn against England it's a good result and it's like you only came on for the last 15 minutes like, <laughs> sod off and celebrate with the fans like you've got nothing to be happy about like he was, he was that kind of guy well, which, is, which is very un-Norwegian and, um, and, and I think again Egil Olsen appreciating people who brought something slightly extreme to the party loved the fact that he had the sort of that drive and that level of, he must be he must have been a nightmare to, well a tricky guy to have on your team sometimes I'm sure so when you saw him step up to take the penalty because I'd imagine you were quite nervous at the time well, I was very young at the time so I didn't know any of this if I was older and I knew uh-huh. more about all because I was I was like yeah, I've been 11 years old or something uh-huh. so, uh, so I, for me I was just uh, freaked out about a great number of things as you are at 11 <laughs> but but uh, um, but in hindsight, he was the perfect guy for it. And incredibly, he insists he insists that he had a premonition uh, earlier that day. That's right, yeah. uh, that oh, yeah. they, no, he dreamt the night before, was it? What, what, what he said uh, that that might be what he said recently uh, was that he he was he was rooming with with Solskjaer then, which is great for young Solskjaer, I'm sure. Uh, and he had a premonition that w- they were going to get a penalty and that he'd need to score it for Norway to go through and that he would score it. And he told he was he was in the room trying to read the key because he didn't speak much French he was playing in France and uh, he was trying to read the keep and suddenly in ha- he had this epiphany that we're going to get a penalty and I'm going to have to score it to go through and I will score it and he told Solskjaer and he was like I'm good good for you good for you Chetil so it came to pass I mean, he, it's he, a great penalty he smashes it right into the into the corner of that and uh, the, the scenes of celebration and, and Norway go through yeah Incred- and it seemed just such an unlikely result and, it, and it's a good it's a good penalty in the sense that and this is another thing Chetil says he, he's, he's uncle taught him a lot about playing football when he was a kid and he always said the most important thing is that you hit the thing you're aiming for in football <laughs> which I guess is true a lot of the time whether you're shooting or passing you just hit the thing yeah. you're aiming for and he, he went up to the penalty thinking for the penalties you know if you hit it cleanly and you hit it well and it goes what you're aiming for the goalkeeper isn't going to save it like this mm-hmm. is in the nature of penalties so he was very confident he insists I think he said something like I had the lowest heart rate of any Norwegian because <laughs> he insists I was very I was very calm <laughs> now, some of that 
that might be bluster, but but he always seemed like, a, as the commentary on the night says, uh, it says Lecht all on a Kalsman fisk. He's cold like a fish. The commentator <laughs> said uh, as he stepped up to take it, uh, and and he did. He scored it past Tafferel, who, who went the right way. Yeah. It's a very well struck penalty. It was, and and it's uh, uh, you know you said it was the greatest moment voted in Norway yeah, sporting it, history. It's certainly, certainly, and they're through default. It's the greatest result in in the Norwegian uh, men's national team. Yeah, because as much that this was a team that had brought everyone a lot of joy like they did beaten a lot of big teams uh, some of them in friendlies but some of them in competitive matches as well you know beating England beating Holland uh, qualifying for the World Cup but they hadn't had maybe like one moment that you could look back on and think like that that was the moment the sort of great sort of transcendental moment mm-hmm. that everyone remembers everyone knows where they were and and like I said time was taken away a little bit and you know, maybe they would go on to still be good but you never know that and and, and, and they had a chance and, and they ended up doing it quite remarkably yeah I mean, sadly, they lost to Italy in the next round, but I mean, a, a very good Italian side. Frustrating game again, though. That had shades of of the US tournament in the sense that it was quite hot and they didn't enjoy that. And <laughs> everyone came away from that game feeling that if they'd played their best, you know, they could have caused them more trouble. And, and again, I think there was some... Everyone's really reverent of Egil Olsen as they should be he's done an extraordinary amount of great things for the country but I think for some of the slightly better footballers in the group they always felt that if the handbrake was taken off a little bit more and they were allowed to to play the ball a little bit more perhaps there's some games they could have gotten more but that's after the fact anyway the they went out. That, that, that was the end of it. Yeah, and, and as you say, it was not too realistic to think Norway could go all the way. But the fact is, they they had that amazing result, mm-hmm. a real marquee result, which will, and, which will uh, go down. Tell us about the opera. Well, there was an opera <laughs> in the, it was 2011 or some such, which was a, a footballing opera written by a, a author and, and satirist uh, who who wanted to write an opera about football, for, so he could appeal to both people who don't like opera and people who don't like football, and just get. <laughs> them all on board and it was about how people uh, well, it has a recreation of the game in it of course uh, where this thing of of Rechtel being cold like a fish is expanded on in a song I think he is uh, compared to a haddock or some such I mean I think that is the, the fish in Fishing question, but also about how people the watching this. The opera also goes into how uh, the, the 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 moment affected the people who watched it. I mean, they were inspired to go out and become a better version of themselves because if you can beat Brazil, then anything can happen. And I and. I mean, it was it was unseasonably hot. I mean, it was in the middle of summer, but for Norway, it was un, un, unusually hot. So there were almost like street parties in Oslo, which is not something you see very often. I mean, it kicked off in a big way in Oslo, I'm told. I wasn't there. And when you talk to people, they have like, I worked with a photographer a couple of years ago who said something about she'd been on a on a remote island in Indonesia and they had to take a boat for an hour to get to the next island because they had a TV there. Like, everyone has this sort of story of, of where they were when they saw this game. It's a great sort of, we talk about football as a as a tool for nation building and creating unity. I mean, this is a great example of that. Mm, absolutely. Well, I, I, I was in Scarborough myself. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Where better to be? Of I mean, course. Lars, it's been fantastic to, to unpack that and, and what an important moment. Um, for, for Norway but also a great game and a great result in, in sort of modern World Cup history you could say a great um, upset as well Lars thank you very much indeed and pleasure Jonathan thank always you. a pleasure thank you everybody we'll see you next time That was the greatest games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard we're back next week with another classic game so do not miss it see you soon 
This was a Stakhanov production.